Welcome to the podcast. Our topic today is sexual harassment in tertiary institutions. My name is Faraha Joy. I am undertaking a postgraduate law fellowship at Georgetown University under the amazing Lao program designed for African women lawyers. My co-host with me today is Dejana Richardson, and I am a JD candidate at the University of Colorado Boulder Law School. And our guest speaker today is Samantha Mwasigye. Samantha is a lawyer, formerly a senior state attorney with the Ministry of Justice and Constitutional Affairs in Uganda. She worked with the ministry for 12 years until August 2019, when she was fired from the ministry for lodging a sexual harassment complaint against the Deputy Solicitor General, who has since been appointed as Justice of the Court of Appeal of Uganda. Samantha is currently doing advocacy work, trying to get women to know their rights at the workplace and to stand up against sexual harassment. So she is very involved in awareness raising. She's very involved in working with students. And she's uh, very committed to ensuring that this is something that comes to an end in academic institutions. She recently joined the Hive Collab as the Chief Operations Officer. And Hive Collab is an innovation and incubation hub for new technologies, which provides a co-working hub for young tech entrepreneurs. And she's also a member of the Africa in Sexual Harassment Initiative. So Samantha, without further ado, we want to welcome you to the DC Bar Student Podcast. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you, Furaha. So I've gone a little bit into your background, but only you can really do justice to that. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how your professional career was impacted by sexual harassment. Thank you, Furaha, once again, and thank you for this invite. Uh, like you've said, my name is Mwesiji Samantha. I'm an advocate and a practicing lawyer. I have practiced law for the past about 15 years. Like you said, I started my legal career in the Attorney General's Chambers and the Ministry of Justice and Constitutional Affairs in February 2007. Prior to that, as a law student, we were mandated to do a training to be able to qualify for the back course, which I also did in the Ministry of Justice, which is where I met Gashirabake Christopher, my tormentor, so to speak. He started harassing me way earlier as a student. Initially, at that point, I just felt, oh, I'm here for a short time, you know, I need to get out of here. And yeah, I went back to school, completed my back course, and was subsequently appointed in the ministry on a permanent and pensionable contract. And I was there up to 2019 when I lodged a sexual harassment complaint against him formally. Many a time people ask, why did it take me that long? I must say it was never something that I felt I needed reporting because, I mean, it happens. It's so commonplace that you just want it to get over and, you know, and move on to the next thing. But with him, the anticlimax, I think, was when he actually targeted me because I wrote him an email uh, chronicling what he'd put me through and said I'd had enough. And I then shared with colleagues that, you know, I've finally stood up to this person who later told him and he called a meeting in which he ridiculed me. So it's actually the meeting that 
set me on a trajectory to stand up for myself. I said, you know, I can't have endured this for years. And in addition to that, you know, someone stands up and ridicules me amongst my colleagues. So I then lodged a formal complaint, which really was ignored, you know, and I got frustrated until I think amid that year when uh, my story broke in the newspapers. So it wasn't until then that the ministry decided, you know, let's see what we can do. A committee was set up, but at that point he'd been appointed deputy solicitor general. So in the absence of the solicitor general, he was the one acting. So every time I followed up on this complaint, he was the one in the office, so to speak. So you can imagine uh, making attempts to follow up on a complaint with the person you'd complained against. I must say that's been or was the hard, toughest time of my life because I became a pariah. Everyone was like, you know, you didn't have to make this complaint. Everyone came to his defense. I became the person who, you know, stood up to someone who was quite powerful and he retaliated against me. I reached a point where my colleagues at work weren't speaking to me. They stopped giving me work. I would go to work and sit the whole day. Yeah, until it became really untenable. But I only left after I was removed from the payroll. So I have lodged a petition in the industrial court, stand up for my industrial rights for wrongful dismissal. This was filed in December of 2019. To date, it's not been heard because he's been appointed a court of appeal justice and the judiciary for all intents and purposes is protecting him. I intend to, you know, push on, but it's been difficult. You've also asked the impact it's had on my profession or my career. Well, it goes without saying, I got fired. And like I said, this story was in the newspapers. So everyone knew about me. So after losing my job, I attempted to apply for jobs. And I must say, most of the interviews that I was able to get into, this took center stage. They asked about him. They were intrigued about the story. Many a time, I just felt like, you know, I would get so upset that, you know, this is an, a job interview. This is not what has brought me. Until I realized, for instance, in the legal profession, uh, the jobs that I was seeking were not places that were going to work for me because everyone, this is someone who was very powerful, the Solicitor General's office. So some of them would say, uh, you know, if we employed you, what happens? How will we interface with this office? And now subsequently that he is in the Court of Appeal, it just became untenable. So I have paved a different career path as a result of this. I must say it was quite unfortunate because I loved what I did. As a young girl, I knew always, you know, that was my purpose in life. But I've since tried to study and branch off to really adapt to the circumstances and say, look here, if this isn't going to work for now, how then can you, yeah. So I'm now mostly uh, in operations and uh, yeah, I still get to do some legal work, but that's not the core. Definitely my career path wouldn't have been the one that I'm taking right now had I not been targeted as a victim of sexual harassment. So it's taken a toll not only on my career, but on my life's path, you know, uh, even socially, the people that I interact with, they are more interested in this part of my life. I feel it's sort of 
reached a point where everyone was defining me by it. So I've purposed that I will rise above it, really. I will not allow Fulia to hold me down and continue to impact me negatively. So I am working towards getting past that. It's still hard, but I'm trying. Thank you, Samantha. And, you know, we really just applaud your courage and your strength. And it's just also, you know, very touching to know that you have found ways of rising above this beyond, you know, being a victim, but also being a survivor and just being an inspiration to generations that will come before you, Samantha. I'm sure that as a law student, you never imagined that when you charted away into your legal profession that you know you were called to, that this is what you would then be, you know, encountering in the workplace. So I would just like to know, uh, following up on that, how would you describe tertiary institutions in Uganda and how they address sexual harassment? And what kind of advice would you give, you know, a law student in Uganda just in terms of awareness on sexual harassment and preparedness for the work environment, given what you know now? I must say you can never be prepared for this. Every working moment, I keep thinking, what, what could I have done different? What could I, you know? What propels me to continue on this path is to let women know that you will be targeted simply for being a woman. You need not have done something for you to be a target. When it comes to tertiary institutions, it is much worse because, like I said, it also started when I was a student. And at that point in your life, what is taking center stage is your academic life and wanting to complete school. So in tertiary institutions, you will find sexual harassment has been endemic, really. And in Uganda, I know for a fact the biggest university, Makere University, is one of the universities really that took center stage, try and put in place ways to protect students against sexual harassment. And as such, so they have all these policies they put in place, reporting mechanisms. I've seen now they've also created an online platform where you can be able to report anonymously and be able to get assistance and all. But I must say that most of these things are more commonplace simply as checklists. So a student, in most cases, if they lodged a complaint, there's definitely backlash from the student community itself. The lecturers protect themselves heavily. But in the last, say, about six years, there's been a change. Lecturers have been suspended for, you know, sexual harassment. And so students and lecturers themselves are getting into this stage where they know ultimately if you target a student, you will never know how far they are willing to go to call you out. So there are some circumstances where our lecturers have been fired. But unfortunately, when I did my research, I found that sexual harassment has been weaponized. These are lecturers that have done other adverse things and as such, they are punished more like to get rid of them for what they have done other than sexual harassment. It's easier to get rid of you using sexual harassment than anything else. So they weaponize it in that manner. And that's quite sad. So on one part, you may look at it and say, oh, well, these students have spoken out and gotten redress. But when you look further into it, it's, it's interesting 
that these people actually, because it's so endemic that really it should stop. And as such, when you find a lecturer being targeted for something other than, so this then becomes the easier way for them to get rid of him. And uh, I found that quite tragic. But as students, my advice to you is that the power is with you. Sexual harassment is more about power. And as such, your lecturer has this hold over you. You fear that your results may be withheld. And so they are counting on that. So it's always better to look at perhaps a different lecturer other than the one who is in charge of that paper that is targeting you. And you start from there, you know, to be able to report it. Also get peers who can be able to share. Because one thing I've seen is that sexual harassment and the lecturers that actually target students, it's not an isolated incident. These are people who are habitual. They target a student or a series of students as the years go on. I actually have an example of somebody who targeted me when I was in my second year at Makere. And at that point, I just felt like, ah, you know, so I avoided him. But much later when I started working, I got to hear stories about what he had been doing. He actually even went to a private university, did the same, and was much later fired for the same thing, you know? So there is usually a trend. When someone targets, you try and find out who else can I find support when I speak out. So there is strength in numbers uh, once you're able to do that. But even as an isolated incident, that shouldn't prevent you from standing up for yourself. I find that speaking out has helped me heal. I also feel that had I spoken up while I was in the university, perhaps this person wouldn't have gone on to do it to other students and then later get fired for it. So always speak out. You'll always have somebody whom you can speak to, and I encourage you to do so. Samantha, we truly applaud your courage and tenacity to push forward in your legal career and bring awareness to this issue. We would like to hear your thoughts. Recently, the Yale Daily News reported that their former executive director of the SAI leadership program at Yale Law resigned from his role after suspending his campaign for Rhode Island's first congressional district in late August. His headshot and bio were removed from the law school's website because he broached a romantic relationship with the student. At the same time, are you aware of allegations of sexual harassment against a dean at the university in Nigeria? And is there a higher level of tolerance for sexual harassment if we compare consequences here in the states versus what may be taking place at some universities on the African continent? Thank you for that. Yes, I have been following uh, on the Yale uh, program director's case. I was quite upset that he seems to have come out of this, uh, that's Don Carlson. Because you see, with a resignation, there is no particular, they are allowing for him, you know, to get away with it, which is quite sad. And in his particular case, there seems to have been a relationship of some kind. What students need to be aware of is that even if a lecturer appeals to you, 
and you know courts you and you are then able to accept and have some kind of relationship with him that power play is what amounts to sexual harassment so even when it's consensual if his intentions are pure he should be able to bring this to the attention of the university and say look here this student she's 20 years old we are in a consensual relation so there are structures in which consensual relations can be had but in this particular case if someone is trying you know to keep it secret that should also highlight the fact that you're being harassed so it was quite unfortunate that uh, he was allowed to resign and yeah that's that's what usually happens with nigeria i followed a bbc journalist kiki modi who actually exposed the sex for max uh, in the universities of ghana and lagos it was quite intriguing you know they did a lot of research had cameras you know where these lecturers were actually propositioning students you know and it took global outcry for just one of them to get suspended even when he was caught on camera you know propositioning students so you can see that with sexual harassment at least from where i come from and the little research i have done with you know europe in america it's more a patriarchal thing men feel they are the hunters they should hunt and as such there is no feeling that you know what they are doing is particularly wrong in spite of uh, laws being in place uh, that actually criminalize these actions in africa for instance i i had scenarios where people said you know i mean this is a man if you weren't interested in him what's the big deal yet the employment act is very clear it says you know this behavior is prohibited but in spite of that uh, they are more sympathetic to him than to me you know in nigeria i saw you know the same trend where these women have come up and stood up others from previous years said oh yeah we faced this and they still gave them a benefit of doubt you can see that had it not been for that outcry i know two of them were suspended later as a result of that investigation but the evidence that was presented was not enough to actually get them there people had to actually come out and say look here what's happening before these universities actually did anything so i think the bigger issue is more i've always felt this is an african thing the african man feels entitled uh, but i see it's not any different uh, when you look at for instance what happens with politicians in america absolutely yeah even with the spanish football team you know this guy was put on camera congratulating a player with a kiss on the mouth and you know the whole team had to come up and say you know we are not playing if he's not fired and he was adamant and you know it's not until recently that he's just also resigned those are the challenges that i think are uh, intersect and need to be dealt with uh, much family thank you for sharing your thoughts and contrasting sexual harassment here in the states and on the african continent what do you believe students can do and also employees in the workplace can do to raise awareness of sexual harassment with employment it's quite different really i know for a fact our employment act requires regular trainings on sexual harassment so when you are being onboarded they'll be telling you they'll give you a manual 
on prohibited behavior, what is expected. In spite of that, it still goes on. So I think with employment, it's much more difficult to rally troops. Uh, but with the students, I think it's much more easier. Once you join a university, you take on this path. Uh, the female students need to be aware and rally with each other and sort of play your sister's keeper's role to be able to know when your sister's keeper is in a position in which either they can't speak for themselves or they are being targeted. So there's strength in numbers. If you have your friends whom you can speak to and share, you can have even someone else speak out on your behalf if you're not able to do so. So I, I would appeal to students, uh, most especially, that's where the impact is. At that point in your life, you're trying to determine how you know your life will set. So if you start to fight for yourself earlier on, it then becomes easier as you go along. But should you shy away from doing so earlier, then I find that, yeah, you then become easier targets in employment. So better at this point to be in a position to say, you know, let's deal with this now. And these are the people you match later on because if, for instance, you're in law school or you're in medical school, when you start to work, your colleagues, because you're in the profession, you'll usually have uh, similarities. Even if you go to different states, you'll socialize, you'll know what's happening. So those networks really last a lifetime. And as such, if you start to hold each other together way earlier, then I think your professional life will be smoother. Thank you for sharing that. Samantha has really touched on how students can be more alert to issues of sexual harassment and the role of universities in this, as well as just awareness raising. So, so those are very important highlighters that she shared with us. Samantha, just in conclusion, do you have any specific recommendations on uh, reporting mechanisms that students can utilize at universities or, you know, maybe based on what you may be aware of in Uganda, or just taking advantage of global mechanisms of social media, what would you recommend as, you know, strong reporting mechanisms to highlight a sexual harassment incident that has happened to a particular student or is just, you know, sort of happening on a very pervasive scale? Usually where you are, the tertiary institution or university will have a sexual harassment policy that will set out the procedure. And the true test will be, for instance, if they have a reporting officer, yeah, a particular person whom you can go to. Once you've made a determination, either from previous experience where some people have shared and said, you know, there's been no benefit to reporting, what I find is that usually Starting from the, for instance, for a university in Uganda, you have a regulator, the Ministry of Education or the National Council for Higher Education. I find that going outside the structures that have been listed, if you find that it's been a case that there is never much that is done, you would rather you started from an external kind of body. Because for them, as a regulator, they have they are sort of like more invested and they are at a distance. They don't know this person. He's not their friend. 
And so they, they don't have reason to protect them, you know. And also as a tertiary institution or university, when you receive a call from your regulator saying, oh, there's this complaint that we've received, you know, they expect action from the tertiary institution or university. So that sort of moves things along and there's accountability. But when you restrict yourself to the procedures that have been set up, you know, and you have evidence to the fact that they've not worked before and you still go ahead and use them, then it becomes a case of the same result, you know, nothing much is going to happen. I know for a fact that there are universities that have been, you know, mentioned and said, you know, these ones are known to protect perpetrators. So once you've made that discovery, you need to move out of the structures that have been set out for these reporting mechanisms. That's very, very important, you know, uh, because I find that these structures have been well thought out and they most often protect the perpetrators. So as a victim, you need to find your own way, you know, to break through these particular systems. Finding an external party, a regulator, an individual that is highly, you know, recognized in the community that you serve is better to put the institution on pressure to have your issue addressed. Thank you so much, Samantha. This was a very enlightening conversation and just a chilling reminder, unfortunately, of the existence of sexual harassment and what students need to be aware of and, you know, what universities can do better and communities at large. So thank you so much for that. We really appreciated you coming forth and just sharing your story with us. And uh, once again, thank you so much, Samantha. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners and Samantha for joining us today on this episode of Let's Brief It. We appreciate you sharing your insights and thoughts about sexual harassment in which women face in tertiary institutions across the world, really. To our audience in the DC region and listeners around the world, thank you for listening and we hope that you will join us again. The DC Bar Law Student Community strives to engage and support law students before you graduate and expose you to the tangible benefits of joining the DC Bar and DC Bar communities. Curated programming allows law students to participate in leadership trainings, substantive content programming, networking with practicing attorneys in fields of interest, writing opportunities, and other activities designed to expand your legal education beyond the classroom. Make an investment in your legal career by joining the law student community. To learn more, visit us at www.dcbar.org or email communities at dcbar.org.